Hello, fellow teachers, and welcome to Teaching with Power. This is Ben Wilcox, and I want to welcome you to a special edition of Teaching with Power this week. I realized a couple of days ago that a general conference is upon us, and I thought that some of you teachers or parents out there might appreciate some ideas, uh, some activities and insights to help your students or your families to be more prepared and excited for general conference. And so as a teacher, I have typically done at least one lesson in the week prior to general conference that helps my students to get excited for general conference. And over the years, I've collected some of my favorite uh, ideas and activities, and I'd like to share those with you, give you the opportunity to use those with your own families or your own classes. And so here are my favorites. And we're just gonna we're just gonna jump from one of these to another. And then as a teacher or as a parent, you could choose which insights and activities you'd most like to use. And if you're interested in the slide presentation or the handouts that I create, I'll put a link in the video description below where you can find access to those resources. I'll, I'll make them available at my Etsy shop. So typically, I like to begin my class with something kind of funny. And so uh, for general conference, I usually like to show some of my favorite general conference memes that I've collected over the years. And so uh, I'll just share some of those now with you. And uh, yeah, you know, some are better than others, but... I kind of get a kick out of them, and I find that usually my students do as well. So I'll let you enjoy these. Hopefully you uh, understand the movie references <laughs> to some of these. And one more there. So, uh, yeah, you know, I just find that uh, my students usually get a kick out of some of those those funny pictures. But then one of my favorite activities to do with my students at the beginning of the lesson is to give them a uh, who is it quiz. And how this works is I've got a handout that uh, has spaces numbered from 1 to 12. And I tell my students that I'm going to show them pictures of famous people and that uh, they shouldn't shout out their names, but just write them down on the numbered lines. And then we'll correct it afterwards, and we're going to see how many of them they got right. Uh, can they recognize these people? And so you can go ahead and do this with me. Now, I wouldn't correct it until I'd gone through all 12. But for our sakes here, I'll go ahead and give you the answers as we go. But see if you can recognize these famous people. So number one, this would be LeBron James, a famous basketball player. Number two, that would be Taylor Swift. Number three. 
This is Dwayne Johnson, uh, otherwise known as The Rock. Number four, that would be Scarlett Johansson. Number five, this is Elon Musk. Number six, Tom Cruise. Then number seven. And you'll be able to tell that there's a little bit of a shift in the second half of the names. And your students will probably start to catch on as to, to the point you're making here. But number seven, that would be M. Russell Ballard. Number eight, this is Neil L. Anderson. Number nine would be Dallin H. Oaks. Number 10, Henry B. Eyring. Number 11, David A. Bednar. And then hopefully they get number 12. If they didn't get any of the others, we pray that they know who number 12 is. But that, of course, would be our prophet, Russell M. Nelson. Now, now, the point that I usually like to make with my students there, or, or what I like to ask, is, 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 did you do better on the first half or the second half? And typically, with, with my youth, with my seminary students, they do much better on the first half than the second half. Now, I tell them that the reason I do this activity isn't to make them feel guilty that they know celebrities better than the prophets, but it is an interesting thing to think about. Why is that? Why do we know the celebrities better than our, our modern day and living prophets and apostles? And uh, I, I like to share this quote from Elder Anderson, who shared this little story. This was before he became an apostle, but uh, he shared this experience that he had with, uh, with a group of deacons. He said, I once found myself among a group of deacons in the southeastern United States. The subject turned to the Atlanta Braves. The boys knew each of the players on that baseball team. They knew the starting lineup, the home run leader, the pitcher with the best record, and those on injured reserve. My questions then turned to the first presidency and quorum of the Twelve Apostles. I asked if the boys knew the names of those church leaders. Silence. Finally, the name of the prophet was spoken. With some encouragement, the last name of one of the counselors in the first presidency surfaced. No other names were known. Some might say it is not the leaders who are important, but the message they bring. Yet, if our children do not know the names of the members of the first presidency and the quorum of the twelve apostles, they most likely will not know their messages either. Others might say there are so many general authorities that our children cannot know them all. However, our focus must rest with those we sustain as prophets, seers, and revelators. While the church has grown, that number, 15, has remained the same. And so I like to use that activity and, and that quote to help encourage my students to get to know the brethren a little bit better. 
uh, to make that a goal, this general conference, to really seek to, to recognize them and know them by face and name. And to help encourage them with that. Uh, maybe part of the reason we don't remember their faces and names as well as we should is maybe we just don't know much about them. I mean, each of these brethren has an incredible uh, background, uh, a character, and, and interesting things about them. And so I've created some slides that have four different fun facts about each of the brethren right next to their picture. And so I hope with these little pictures that, that this can help them to get to know the brethren just a little bit better. So here we go. Russell M. Nelson. And I always encourage them to make sure they get his last name right. Uh, I've sometimes heard him referred to as President Nielsen, but, uh, but that would be incorrect. It's President Nelson. And some fun facts about President Nelson. Uh, he was the first to perform open heart surgery in Utah. I, I'm sure most of you are aware that uh, President Nelson is a world-famous heart surgeon. He was a full-fledged MD at age 23. Now, I'm not exactly sure how that works, how you can become a, a full-fledged MD by that age, but, uh, but somehow President Nelson managed to do that. Uh, uh, number three, President Nelson plays the organ, and then he operated on President Kimball. Now imagine the pressure there that uh, you're responsible for performing surgery on the living prophet. But uh, uh, he was successful, as we know. Some fun facts about Dallin H. Oaks. He was a Utah Supreme Court justice. He was a DJ at age 17. President Oaks never served a full-time mission or was a bishop or a state president before he was called as a general authority. And his father died when he was just seven years old. President Eyring now. He was an associate professor at Stanford and MIT. He earned a master's and doctorate degree from Harvard. He was the president of Ricks College, now known as BYU-Idaho, from 1971 to 1977, and his dad was a nationally recognized chemist. Elder Ballard, M. Russell Ballard. Both of his grandfathers were apostles. He was a businessman before becoming a general authority and owned a, a car dealership in Salt Lake. He met his wife four days after returning from his mission, and uh, he served a mission to England. Jeffrey R. Holland was president of BYU from 1980 to 1989. He earned a master's and doctorate degree from Yale. He lettered in football, basketball, baseball, and track in high school. So Elder Holland uh, was an athlete. And he worked for CES, or 
uh, the church educational system. And maybe that's why Elder Holland holds a special place in my heart. Uh, he too was a seminary teacher in the past. Elder Uchtdorf was a refugee after World War II and played in bombed-out houses as a child. He was born in Czechoslovakia in 1940. And the way his family became members of the church is that a, a woman invited his grandma to church while they were standing in a food line. And this shouldn't surprise you, but, but he was the vice president and chief pilot for Lufthansa German Airlines. And we know, we've heard a lot of aviation stories and metaphors from Elder Uchtdorf over the years. Elder Bednar is an avid skier. He was a business professor at the University of Arkansas and president of BYU-Idaho before being called to serve as an apostle. And after returning from his mission, he baptized his own father. Elder Cook was a business lawyer in California for 29 years. He served a mission to England, was executive director of the missionary department, and helped to negotiate the release of four missionaries held hostage in Nigeria. Elder Christofferson was an attorney and started as a law clerk under the judge who oversaw the Watergate hearings. He served as executive director of the Family and Church History Department. His dad was a veterinarian, and he often helped in taking care of animals. And Elder Christofferson served a mission to Argentina. Elder Anderson was a farm boy, uh, born in Logan, Utah, and raised in Pocatello on a dairy farm. He worked in business administration in areas such as real estate, advertising, and healthcare. He speaks English, French, Portuguese, and Spanish, and supervised the filming of the Testaments as the executive director of the Church Audiovisual Department. Elder Rasband is also a businessman and was the president of Huntsman Chemical Company before being called as an apostle. He served as a bishop, a mission president, and a 70, served a mission to New York, has five children and 24 grandchildren. Elder Stevenson served a mission in Japan and then later served as a mission president in that country. He was a trampoline salesman, and later started an exercise equipment company. And before being called as an apostle, he was the presiding bishop of the church. And he has four sons, and they love the outdoors, skiing, snowboarding, and hiking. Elder Dale G. Renland. His parents are from Sweden. And he lived there for three years in his youth and then also served a mission there. He was a professor of medicine at the University of Utah and was the medical director of the heart transplant program 
He lived in South Africa for five years as president of the church's Africa Southeast area, and he has one daughter. Elder Garrett W. Gong has a Dutch first name, an American middle name, and a Chinese last name. He served as an assistant to the U.S. Undersecretary of State and special assistant to the U.S. Ambassador in Beijing. He got engaged to his wife, Susan, over the phone, and he got a degree in international relations from Oxford and was a Rhodes Scholar. And last but not least, we have Elder Ulysses Soares, who was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. His parents are both converts and joined the church when he was just six. He was an accountant and auditor for multinational corporations in Brazil and served as mission president of the Portugal Porto Mission. So it's easy to see that this is a group of very intelligent, accomplished, and capable men that we have leading this church. And I hope that that little activity just helped you to get to know them a little bit better as individuals. Now, another activity that I might like to do with my students is uh, a crossword puzzle activity. Now, the scriptures have a number of different symbols for apostles and prophets. And if you've studied with me over the years, you, you'll probably recognize some of these symbols. But uh, I'm pulling these from all of the different standard works, and I've just I've selected my favorites and put them into one activity. And so their job is to find these scriptures and, uh, and find the symbol for prophets within them. And they can do that with the clues where, well, they'll just need to go through and fill in the blanks. So I'll go ahead and go through the answers with you. So number one across, Ezekiel 34, 12. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock. Prophets and apostles are like shepherds. Number five across, Zechariah chapter four, verse two. The answer, a candlestick, all of gold. Prophets and apostles are like candlesticks. Number seven across, Moses 6.38. A wild man hath come among us. Prophets and apostles are wild men. Number eight across. Revelation chapter one, verse 20. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Prophets and apostles are like stars. Now to the down clues. Number one down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. As a wise master builder, prophets and apostles are master builders. Number two down, Mosiah 8, 13. And whosoever is commanded to look in them, 
The same is called seer. Prophets and apostles are seers. Number four down, Ephesians 2.20 And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Prophets and apostles are like a strong foundation. And then finally, Ezekiel 33, verse 7, or, or number 6 down, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Prophets and apostles are like watchmen. And then there's a concluding question at the bottom of the handout, which asks, which of the symbols is your favorite and why? And I just like to allow my students to look at all the answers that they have in their crossword puzzle and share which of those symbols they like the best and why. And, and every single one of them offers, offers some insight into what prophets and apostles do and, and what they're like. And uh, I'll go ahead and share my favorite one. I love that the prophets and apostles are wild men. <laughs> that one usually surprises my students. Why? Why would we describe the prophets and apostles as wild men? Well, what's the opposite of wild? Tamed. The prophets and apostles aren't tame. Something that is tame is controlled by another power. Now, what power do prophets stand in opposition to? The power of the world. The power of the culture around them the power of the adversary. Uh, most people in this world are much more comfortable to just go with the flow and what's popular and what's mainstream. Prophets don't do that. Uh, they could care less about the flow of popular opinion because they listen to God. President Nelson can't be tamed. He's a wild man. I'm sure that the world, the media, politicians and maybe even some members of the church, would love to tame him and the other brethren. Some are positive that the church is getting it wrong when it comes to certain issues. They want tame prophets, the kind that will tell them what they want to hear. Soothsayers that say soothing sayings. But the brethren, they're not going to be tame. They're wild. And we would do well to listen to these wild men. So I love that. I love that description of our Latter-day Prophets and Apostles. Well, another brief insight here and an activity that I might try with my students. Uh, sometimes I'll invite a student to come up to the front of the classroom and, and hold their arms out, straight out to their sides, and, and see how long they can do that before they begin to drop. Or you can even have your entire class do this and wait until you have a winner. See who can last the longest. Although sometimes some of these kids, they, they could do this pretty long. And so usually after a minute or two, for those that are still left, I might put a, a hymn book or some kind of weight in each of their hands and then see how long they can keep their arms up. Well, 
I tell them that uh, there's only so long that we can hold our arms out by ourselves before they get tired. But is there anything that, that we could do that would help somebody to keep their arms up even longer? You know, yeah, you could, you could have somebody else help hold up your arms. And so I'll bring a student to the front and have them hold out their arms and even stack a couple of hymn books in each hand, but then invite two more students to come to the front to prop up the elbows of that student. And then I ask, how long do you think that person could hold up their arms now? Probably indefinitely. Well, that very image of two people holding up somebody else's arms is found in this wonderful little story in the Old Testament, something that happened to Moses during the Exodus. And I just like to take my students to Exodus chapter 17 and, and read this little story that's just found in verses 8 through 13. And before I read it, I want my students to think about the lesson of this story. Well, what do you think this story is teaching us? And be prepared to finish this statement. If I wish to win my spiritual battles, I must dot, dot, dot. Uh, uh, you fill in the rest of that statement based on what we hear in this story. And this is something as the children of Israel are traveling towards the promised land. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So, so he's holding out his arms with the staff in his hand, and eventually his arms get tired, and as they do, the Israelites begin to lose the battle. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, which means he defeated Amalek and his army. So, uh, we, we have a wonderful visual object lesson happening here. How would you finish our statement there? If I wish to win my spiritual battles, I must do what? I must uphold the prophet. That's, I think, one of the great lessons of this story. When we uphold and support the prophet's authority, his power, then we're going to win. 
But when we leave him on his own, when we, we stop upholding the prophet, then we begin to lose our backs. And I always love to pair this little story with a verse that comes from the Doctrine and Covenants. Because the next question becomes, well, well, how do I uphold the prophet? Doctrine and Covenants 107 verse 22 offers us three ways. Three ways in which we can uphold President Nelson, the First Presidency, and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. See if you can find those three things. It says, Of the Melchizedek priesthood, three presiding high priests, chosen by the body, appointed and ordained to that office, and upheld by the confidence, faith, and prayer of the church. Form a quorum of the presidency of the church. And did you catch them? How do we uphold the brethren? We uphold them by our confidence in their ability to lead us and in their decisions and in their counsels. We uphold them by our faith, faith in their words, uh, believing them, acting on what they teach. And we uphold them with our prayers because we recognize that they're still mortal men and they need blessings and they need help and they need the grace of God. I have a testimony that if we will uphold the brethren with our confidence, our faith, and our prayers, then, then we are going to win our spiritual battles. And general conference is one of the greatest opportunities we have to show that we uphold the brethren. And so let's do that as, as members of this church this coming weekend. Let's uphold the brethren with our confidence, our faith, and our prayers. Something else I like to do with my students is to maybe show them a, a little video. And I've got two that, that are my favorites as far as general conference is concerned. And I'll place links to those two videos in the video description below. My favorite one is probably this first one. It's called The Blessings of Conference. And probably my favorite part of that video is, is something that Elder Holland says. He says, I ask you to reflect in the days ahead not only on the messages you have heard, but also on the unique phenomenon that general conference itself is. What we as Latter-day Saints believe such conferences to be, and what we invite the world to hear and observe about them. We testify to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people that God not only lives, but also that He speaks. That for our time and in our day, the counsel you have heard is under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the will of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, and the power of God unto salvation. If we teach by the Spirit, and you listen by the Spirit, some one of us will touch on your circumstance, sending a personal prophetic epistle just to you. And I believe that that is the case that I have seen when I go into general conference looking for a personal prophetic epistle every time I've received one. 
a message that I felt was specifically and personally tailored to my circumstance and my situation. The other video is entitled Learning from General Conference, which also gives some great instruction and some ideas on where to watch General Conference, how to watch General Conference, and how to get the most out of it. And that's also something that I, I like to do is give my students some, some suggestions, uh, just five things that I believe will help them to get more out of the general conference experience. And I invite each of you to uh, also act on these suggestions. But here they are. Suggestion number one, schedule time to listen to and to study the conference messages. Create an environment where the spirit can be your companion. Suggestion number two, pray in faith that you will hear messages relevant to your life. Also, pray for church leaders as they prepare and deliver inspired messages. Suggestion number three, write down personal questions or concerns for which you would like answers. During conference, Record the answers and impressions you receive. And I'll tell you what, that, that suggestion right there is probably the number one thing that I've done in the past that has helped General Conference be much more special and meaningful for me. I've always received answers when I do this. Suggestion number four, after listening to and studying the messages, Recommit to live a better life according to the spiritual impressions you have received. And suggestion number five, regularly review and study messages from this conference until the next conference is held. I'm confident, brothers and sisters, that if you uh, apply these five suggestions, that uh, this general conference will be a special and, and meaningful and perhaps even life-changing experience for you. And then finally, one last idea uh, for you to try out. And that is uh, before general conference, I tell my students that when they come back, we're going to have a little game, a little challenge to see how well they paid attention to what was taught in general conference. And so usually after general conference, I like to do a, a Kahoot activity with them. And, and so if you don't know what Kahoot is, I'll put a link to the website uh, uh, below. It's completely free, but it, it's a game where your students use their cell phones to answer multiple choice questions. And so you can go in and you can just create your own questions that that go with general conference, uh, things that you've learned in general conference, and, and there are four possible answers to those questions. The students that select the correct answers and, and most quickly earn points, and then they're ranked based on how fast and how accurate their answers are. And I found that uh, uh, the students really enjoy this type of activity, especially if you're teaching youth. And it also encourages them to pay a little closer attention in general conference if they know that this activity 
is coming up the next week. So I encourage you to take notes during General Conference, and then you can go in and create your own Kahoot based on the things that you learn or or the things that you want to emphasize uh, as a teacher. Or there are usually a number of other Kahoots that are are created by other teachers already, and they make those available to anybody. You can just do a search, and usually uh, those will come up. However, I always like to create my own, just because then I can focus on the on the messages and ideas that that I most want to focus on, or or I want my students to remember. But that that has turned out to be a, a very fun activity uh, with my seminary classes. And so that's that's one final idea on how you can make General Conference uh, more memorable to those that you teach. And with that, uh, I'll conclude. I-, I hope that's helpful. I don't know about you, but-, but I am super excited for General Conference this coming week. And-, and I hope that these ideas and activities can can help you as a teacher or a, a parent to really get those that you teach and those that you love uh, excited and and ready for this incredible miracle that we get to experience as a church every six months. So just uh, as a reminder, um, if you are interested in these resources, I'll put a link in the video description below to my Etsy shop where you could get access uh, to these materials. And with that, I'll say thank you so much for watching. Now get out there and teach with power.